Hello and welcome to What Will We Watch, where we watch our favorite childhood movies that we've yet to revisit as adults and reflect on our memory of them. Joining us today is filmmaker Fraser McLean, and we're discussing his childhood favorite, The Pagemaster. Endless Wonders, where he'll scale the heights of the world's greatest adventures. Moby Dick, Elsipi, Treasure Island! And bring back the ultimate prize. You've got to fight to make a wish come true. That's it, boy! His own courage. Yes! Macaulay Culkin. You're the greatest. Christopher Lloyd. Build triumph here and always. Take your family to a world beyond imagination. The Page Master. Fraser, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on. Totally, man. So you picked the Page Master. It's uh this is a movie that I've always wanted to watch. It was a trailer that came up on a lot of movies that I used to watch, but my mom never rent rented it for us. So you fulfilled a huge childhood uh dream of mine of watching well, I'm the Page actually Master. Surprised you hadn't seen it. A lot of people I started talking to it had seen the movie, but only when they were little kids. Yeah. Like I hadn't, I couldn't find anyone the last week of talking to people about the movie who'd seen it like after the age of 10 or 12. So it was really interesting revisiting it because that's when I saw it as well. Like I probably first saw it when I was like six. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm not going to lie, watching it <laughs> did make me feel kind of old. Like halfway <laughs> through, I was like, wait, I saw this for the first time 20 years ago. And it's like, oh. It has <laughs> a distinct 90s feeling of oh. just like, Mean kids, dangerous world. Don't worry because you're going to be taken away. <laughs> <laughs> Parents don't understand. Yeah. yeah. So you're a director and producer. What's your relationship with movies and TV? Uh, movies and TV have always been a massive part of my life. They've always been something I connected to as a child. And they've sort of been shaping my whole career and direction as a person. And I would say this film is some uh, film that had an impact on me without me really realizing it until kind of going back and actually revisiting it now. Yeah. But film and TV have had a massive impact on my life. And I hope they just continue to have that impact. I think especially when you're a kid, movies have impact on you more, more though than you, than you realize. Mm-hmm. 100%. I think that's kind of the idea behind the podcast is like, when you go back and you watch, um, you watch the page master and you're like, Oh, this like, you know, I, if I watched it when I was a kid, I, it probably would have had a big influence on me being more interested in books and having more of a desire to, to learn from reading rather than learn from watching. It's funny that you bring that up, uh, in my pre-watch notes, the biggest thing I have circled was that this movie like positively instilled books for me. I remember like after watching this movie, like really wanting to read more and like going to the canasta book fair afterwards and being like way more into it and like getting a library card i think probably because of this movie dude this is something so we just watched matilda and there's these two movies do the coolest thing of making libraries have excitement <laughs> like and and i think that's something that's missing in today's culture which is mm -hmm. if you t I, I don't know i don't talk to many kids for obvious reasons, because I'm a 20 year old male without any kids, <laughs> but but none of them, I think I don't think there's many kids who have entered a library willingly recently. Which well, is this, this guy doesn't either, but it's, <laughs> it's funny how you say that, like they give the library like intrigue again and like mystery, like they make it like a book prison for the books in there. Yeah. And when you start like seeing a library in a different light like that, you can really like it creates this whole other world. Like libraries are always there, but as you say, like we don't really go into them willingly. No, they, they, they have one of my favorite lines about a library, which is, I think it's, if I can quote it right, it's, it's a library, nothing is as it seems. And it's like, <laughs> it's such a great idea. Cause like when you're a kid, even when you tell me library, I'm like, oh my God. But then like, ugh, Snorefest. But then when you actually think about how exciting a book is, where like if you look at a bookshelf filled with books that you've always wanted to read, um, yeah, they're just like untapped adventures that you have to like earn. Yeah, libraries has like an infinite amount of them. 
like from the library depicted in the story, it's just these towering books that go on forever. Yeah. And as you say, you see each one has its own story. It's just like it, you can literally go anywhere, do anything in the library. 100%. So I, then, yeah. No, go for it. Um, yes. So, so then what do you think the, uh, like what movies did you used to watch over and over again? <laughs> uh, my classic rewatch ones would probably be like Troy, that's a movie I would watch like as I, a kid. Yeah. Oh, more times than I could count. It was a movie I would watch every time I was sick. That's like, gladiator from, for me. <laughs> from age like seven on, it was Troy and old, old uh, James Bond movies for uh, sure. Yeah. Box sets, everyone you can think of. But you know, everyone has sort of the the classic kids Disney animations and the uh, Miyazaki animations. Those ones were huge for me as a kid. Those were ones where. I would rent from the gas station wherever I could. Those were my Disney, I think. I think Miyazaki, my parents didn't weren't big fans of Disney because my mom was a hippie and believed that like, uh, you know, uh, Disney feeds on kids nightmares. But uh, <laughs> so Miyazaki, which literally is kids nightmares, <laughs> like spirited away. It's a full on nightmare. Yeah, it's but, uh, fine. But yeah, to but be those to were that Disney, no, some of those like there is a primary merit to that like when you rewatch little mermaid now you're like oh i don't know what lessons this is instilling like some yeah. of the disney movies really have not aged so well no um so yeah then what kind of like who in was there someone in your family or in your life that got you into movies or did you just kind of m move towards them on your own i'd actually say that i kind of got my rest of my family more into movies mm -hmm. if anything i was always the one to like be pushing that we watch a movie as a family or like always asking to try to like rent a new movie or like get a bigger TV. So if anything, I think I am the one in the house who has like the most of the bug for it and kind of drive the conversation with the rest of my family when it comes to movies. Yeah. A lot of them are more like bookworms, which is, which is great, but I I've, yeah, I would say I'm the biggest film bug in my family. Did you ever have this thing just going back to, to the mystery of libraries? We're both super dyslexic yeah um <laughs> that's that's that, that, that's something we share and uh did you ever have a thing where you'd want to read a book because the cover was so cool but you never could but that th th there was the barrier of having to read it which is like as a dyslexic person that's very difficult for me yeah i remember having like the barriers of like wanting the reward of the story like wanting yeah. that payoff but knowing that it would take me like way longer to get there. It takes like a year and a half to read <laughs> one book. Like a full novel, but yeah, a movie that like the stories are so ready that you can like, I think that's one of the reasons I love the page master so much as a kid is it flits from story to story mm -hmm. and it gives you this huge sort of miragery of just classics. And it just has a little bit of a little bit of everything. Like for everyone, it's it's kind of I'm gonna harp back to like this is basically just a movie of propaganda for books and 100%. like a propaganda for old literature, but yeah. it does it well. And they're not even books kids would like. Like no. they're like Moby Dick and like <laughs> Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. Dr. The original Jekyll. one is like it's wacky. Yeah. So was there one memory of the movie that you like really remember before re re watching? Uh, there is, and after rewatching, I realize it's a false memory because I remember the the switch to animation and the the painting, the mural turning to animation goo and falling on him. Yep. And then in my my memory, it it switches to him just being under the ocean and him emerging up. Whoa! But that's the scene that happens like twenty minutes afterwards. Yeah, with Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. I just crushed them together in my head. Could that have been in the trailer? That I, seems it, like a trailer cut. That could have been. It could have been. But I think it might have just might have been my foggy memory. So upon rewatching it, it was pretty awesome to realize that the the sequence of animation to or from reality to animation is like so much longer and drawn out than I remember it to be. It was yeah. actually quite a treat. They do a weird thing where it's he gets knocked out twice, which you don't see very often, which is he he hits his head and then you're like, he's going to wake up in animation. But then the mural above him starts dripping and then it turns into a dragon, which eats him. 
and then he wakes up in animation. You're like, oh, that's weird. Usually those two things, well, they would only pick one. They're <laughs> <laughs> going inception levels. Yeah. Um, what was like one, uh, like, yeah, do you have any, any like stories affiliated with you finding this movie or, or how this movie came to you? Uh, the only memory I have of it off the top is like a really a fragmented memory. I just remember uh, going to the library because where we grew up on the islands, it was like really slim pickings as to where you could get movies from. Yeah. I remember going to the library and I rented this movie from the library. Um, I remember like thinking nothing of it until watching the movie and returning it to the library. And like, because the movie is so prevalent to the library, I was just going back and being like, wow, if I had the full sort of like inspiration of seeing the shelves and shelves of DVDs instead of the books, because we had quite a good uh, selection of movies, or not DVDs, back then it would be VHS, yeah. at my uh, library. So that that's a one little fragment memory I remember having of like returning it with my mom and realizing that there were so many other movies and books I could take out. This movie, that's the perfect li library movie. Yeah. is that you get to like it's yeah it's really is li library propaganda which whenever you step into it next you're going to remember that movie but well, they think they should play this thing at canasta book fairs if that thing's still going on like it's it's still a good movie it's still, still a relevant movie i think yeah it's really really fun so richard uh so richard tyler played by macaulay culkin is like a 10 year old kid who's afraid of everything yeah. So much so that he has like a <laughs> he has a warning don't touch high voltage sign next to like a, a, an elect electrical out outlet and then he has a fire extinguisher be beside his bed and he has like a big heavy pair of boots so he he doesn't step on on broke broken glass <laughs> when he breaks it to get the fire extinguisher. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and his parents are worried for him like they're worried that he's so afraid of the world that he'll never grow out of his his comfort zone which i think is a really interesting view on um kind of like being a kid now and helicopter parents now mm -hmm. how m almost every parent is like a helicopter parent now where they you would never send your kid so basically to get him out out of his comfort zone they send him on an errand um, to go get more screws for the treehouse that his dad's building for him, right? Yeah. You, you would, a parent would never do that for their 10-year-old kid now. Yeah, totally. Just send him out and have him be gone all day. Yeah. Like, I think me, me and you, we both grew up with pretty, like, free parents with a lot of in, in, independence, and we could be gone all, all day. Yeah, but I think even not, city, not so much at that age, though, even though still... His, I don't know, it's, this story is, like, I think the biggest problem I have with it is the relationship he has with his dad, and how his dad doesn't change at all through the story. No. The whole yeah. time, the dad's basically just like, I wish my son was more of, like, a son, like, more of like a man. And at the end, he just, like, his son gets more dependence and sort of, like, starts really seizing life and his, his dad's just like, yep, that's my boy. Like, I, I really was hoping to see the scene where he, like, meets him halfway and like starts to try to like get more to his son's level because I don't know. I think that's the largest qualm I have with it is just like the dad was such a cardboard cutout character. But also I, I think it's kind of like, this is actually a kind of take that I like on parents. Cause usually if you were to make this movie, it's the kid who wants to be adventurous and the overbearing parent who doesn't let them. I like the idea of the kid having this, huge fear of of the world and the parents being worried that he'll never be kind of like an open person which yeah, I, I i like his parents in this it is a good premise I, his father is just one of those things where i just saw like no no change from his parents at all and yeah. i would have liked to see that it's like his father just kind of accepting that like oh like if my son's a little bit like quirky or like this like maybe i can do something like i would have liked to when they find him he had he had something to try to like meet halfway with his son. Like, oh, look, we don't have to build this on the like the treehouse in the tree if you want. You can have it on yeah. the ground if you don't like fears or if you don't like you have a fear of heights. It is weird. I was like, why? Why is his dad building him a treehouse when his son doesn't want a treehouse? And like the whole time he knows. That's what I mean. His father is like very like aggressively pushing him. Yeah. And then there's no like. It's it's very just kind of like. We can like get to like the end. I, I have a big question right right at the end. So, uh, but 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 we can get to that. Yeah, so we'll then, fall there. 
Richard, also Richard Tyler, is the weirdest kid's name. Yeah. <laughs> like, imagine being 10-year-old and just being called Richard Tyler. I don't know. That's, well, those arguments are like... Everyone who has like a super adult name was a kid at one point in time. That's very true. And you always see those little like baby Berthas or like Ruths or whatnot. Baby like, Bertha. You know, baby <laughs> Ruth is always cute. <laughs> so, so, uh, so Richard is on his way to, uh, on, on his errand. He is that dope ass caution bike. <laughs> that looks like a Vespa, but then when it turns around, it's just a bicycle. Also, I would have liked to see the scene where he just rips all that safety gear off. Because when he leaves the library, it's just like gone. I know. <laughs> I was like, I like the transformation, but I want to see him like get in there and start pulling that stuff off. <laughs> Take his helmet off and like light it on fire. <laughs> yeah. One of the weird things is so in this scene where where where, where he's biking, he has a big high vis vest. He has a uh, a big yellow helmet on. He's in his his safety bike. You can get that action figure. Really? Yeah, you can get the caution action figure version of a. Uh, I would not the, have expected this movie to sell merchandise like action figures, dude. This thing sold. This was supposed to be a huge movie. Um, it did not do well at the box office. I think it was made for twenty seven million, and it made like twelve. Oh, actually, yeah, me. it has a powerhouse um, cast, though. It was also this movie was uh, really hurt by uh, by rewrites and stuff. There's a there, there's a huge arb, arb, arbitration be be between screenwriters. But um, and it kind of set the presence, the the kind of present rule that in animation, you nail the script before you start an an animating like Pixar does that they'll work for like three years on the, on their story and then start making, making it. <laughs> but this movie, they, uh, they started rewriting the script while they're animating. And so it took three and a half years to make the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, and it's a short movie. It's yeah, an it's, hour it's, and 15 minutes. I was gonna say there's only animation for like a third of it too, or like maybe two thirds of it. So, so yeah, I think a lot of the problems that we both have with this movie come from it being rewritten so much in production. Yeah, honestly, the one thing, though, is like with this film, it's a bit choppy as it goes. Like it sort of like flits from story to story. But I'm, I'm kind of OK with it. It kind of give it a pass because in my head, I'm like, OK, realistically, this is this kid with very overactive imagination walking through the fancy aisle and getting lost in a book a chapter at a time like seeing mm. a book like dr jack Lister hide and pulling off the shelf reading it until he gets scared running to the next book and then getting intrigued by the next book and then reading oh. that until he gets scared and then going to the next one and getting lost from like in fancy and horror then adventure and like each sort of character he picks up along the way is a section of the library he gets lost in and then once he gets friends with them he starts feeling comfortable with adventure because, that's a yeah. really good reading of this movie <laughs> I never thought that. <laughs> I always kind of pictured it like he's just he's this kid with this hugely active imagination, and the story here is he just is lost in the library all day. Mm -hmm. But the small things like he loses his library card, and that's lost. He won't be able to take these books out, and he finds it. Like adventure ends up finding it. He probably just tucked it away in the book, the, the yeah. first book, the adventure book he grabbed, and then he found it in the book later. And that's just a small kid's moment, but that's in an animation, that's an interesting thing. Like Princess Bride is kind of like that where. It's just the best part of the book because the, <laughs> the grandpa's skipping all the boring parts. That's a really cool reading of this movie, and that makes complete sense. Yeah, and I really like, love that part of it. I think is after he, like, he meets these three sort of iconic characters: the so, yeah, adventure, he, fantasy, and horror. He gets to the library. The uh, librarian, Mister Dewey, named after the Dewey desk decimal system played by <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pick that up <laughs> <laughs> played by Chris Christopher Lloyd uh, kind of recommends him horror adventure and uh, fan fan fantasy and gives him like a, a library card then when he's walking through the aisles he slips and hits his head and we talked about the the dragon of paint dripping down and then mm -hmm. consuming him. He looks up is, and sees a wizard, the page master, and it's just yeah. circus for Lloyd's painted face <laughs> on like on uh, Merlin. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. This is the the paint scene. Really not great early C CGI. But uh, it's super reminiscent of this other movie 
called uh, Velvet Buzzsaw, which is on Netflix, which is a slasher movie about paint. Um, mm. And at one point, all the paint on these paintings drips off and then consumes this one woman. And oh, uh, interesting. I haven't yeah. seen Velvet Buzzsaw yet. It's not good. I wouldn't really? recommend it. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> so then, <laughs> so then he wakes up after being consumed by paint and he is a illustration. He goes to say cartoon and then the page master who's that, that wizard is like, no, no, it, you're an illustration. And he's a uh, voice by Chris on the transition for a second. Cause I actually, it was campy, but I actually still very much enjoyed it. I would s- still say uh, it was probably my standout moment. Really? Because it's something that I think is quite different is you see this child running from the world of animation, running from the world of adventure, rather than something like Narnia or so many other children's movies where they're diving into it, or the Mm -hmm. Moro days. Like, there's countless other ones. This is one of the only stories where this character is, he's sort of dragged into this begrudgingly, or against his will, almost. Yeah, his denial of the the call stretches for, like, the first act in, in... To the second which is really really rare and just seeing like seeing the animation as something that he can't escape from i just sort of saw that as like that's his imagination that's something that he like he can't get away from and he's picked a book up and he can't get away from reading the book even though it like scares him yeah and that's so- his him sort of like his intrigue is what is like the gripping animation after him. I love how I saw it. this is a great reading of it and i think that's that's how i'm going to interpret it now so then he, uh, the, uh, the page master sends him on an adventure where he gets lost in the book aisles and he's looking for the exit. So then he teams up with adventure and fantasy adventure played by Patrick Stewart, fantasy played by Whoopi Goldberg. And they're both these like goofy talking books. Patrick Stewart was great in it too. Honestly, I he was good. I saw his name coming up in the credits and I for, I didn't know he was in it. So I was excited and it took me like 10 minutes of having adventure on screen before I realized it was him because I don't know. He just, he kind of disappeared into the role. I thought I would be able to pick him out really easily. And he's such a good actor, Patrick Stewart. He's like such a high caliber actor. Same for me. I, when I was list, list, listening to it, I couldn't picture him. I was like, oh, like weird. I saw Patrick Stewart. I don't know who he plays. Maybe Long John Silver or something. <laughs> um, so, then, so then Adventure and Fantasy make a deal with him that if they show him to the exit, he'll check them out and make them leave the prison that the library is, which is kind of a messed up idea. It's just kind of cool. It, 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 like, it adds an edginess to the library that I don't think we ever see. When you think about it, all these great stories are just stuck in this building. And the only thing that can take them out is like, is us. And they want to be read. Like, I I guess that's what that is, is showing that like, that's the only purpose for books. And -hmm. if you're not doing it, they have no purpose, which is really sad. Stuck in prison. Yeah. Um, And so then uh, in, in order to get to the exit sign, they have to go through this creepy haunted house, which is owned by uh, Dr. Jekyll. And, uh, and and they meet the Book of Horror, which is kind of like a ghoulish book, played by uh, Frank Welker, mm-hmm. who's a voice actor who I've never really seen in anything, but I've heard him in a lot of stuff. Yeah, he was also an unknown for me. I thought they tackled Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the reading in this, very well. I was I, ex- expecting it to be like a much more cartoon twist to yeah. Mr. Hyde. Because in the original, he basically just turns into another man. He's not a hideous monster. He is a person. He's just this like twisted, demented man. And I liked how they they basically just made him like he he did have some like uh, ghoulish features, but they were just exagger like very exaggerated human features. And I thought they stuck really really closely to the source material, which it's kind of rare. Like the original Doctor Jack Mr. Hyde book is only like a hundred pages long. Wow. And it's been stretched into all these other stories and all these huge like mythical journeys and stories mm-hmm. in so many other different. I movies. love the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like every uh, iteration of, of them, like in fight club or the nutty professor, the gentleman, uh, uh, what's it called the league of extraordinary, extraordinary gentlemen. gentlemen that, thank you. Honestly, that movie, I, that would be a good movie for this podcast. I don't, <laughs> I've not rewatched it recently, but I love that, that interpretation of, of them. How he just kind of like becomes the Hulk. Mm-hmm. But this one's so interesting because he's not like in all those, you know, Dr. Jekyll is 
like when you think of him, he's usually like a burlier, tougher dude. And in this one, he's like the spindly, weird, almost looks like the Babadook in a weird way. Like he's you know, just like, sort of like a baboon sort of. Yeah. Like strength and ferocity as well. Like I'd never really seen a, uh, a Mr. Hyde like him. Which I is liked like, how they kept Mr. Hyde as a creature of quite intelligence. Like he's malicious and like, oh, this horrible creature, but he's a man and he is intelligent. And I like how they, with this story, there was definitely a kid's story and they told, like they displayed it in a way that was good for kids, but they stuck to the source material of every story, like very stringently. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's a really like, they, I really love how they bring these adult stories to life for kids when kids are never going to read like Moby Dick mm-hmm. or, or Dr. J- like they will read them, but it kind of plants the seed of curiosity. One of the things that I really like is that when they show books, every few book spines will have an animated title on them. And so you have books like, uh, like the shining and then you have like the three mus- musk musketeers and like <laughs> Sherlock Holmes and the hound of, I forget what that title's called. Bastaville. Yeah. And there was Alice in Wonderland and oh, you wrote Beanstalk and Jack the Ripper. And there was like, there was, I was kind of going through and Humpty Dumpty and like the amount that they had there was, it was awesome. And, and it I, looks like, like the from, shining and they're just planting seeds for kids to be curious about these books. Oh, actually the shining might be the exception to what I was about to say from oh, what I was looking through. I couldn't find any book that wasn't in the public domain. Oh, all shining, the stories are for the shining. The shining isn't, but all the stories that they do like, uh, so they go to the sea, they escape the mansion, uh, and they go to the sea where they're shipwrecked by Moby Dick. Mm-hmm. And then they're rescued and taken hostage by long John silver. All the books that they kind of do homages to, or like references to are all in the, public domain Mm -hmm. and ones i would also call as sort of like some classics to literature like Mm. the the aladdin like that that literally comes from fantasies like her book herself so when i think about that i'm like oh that could be the uh, fantasy book arabian nights is one which is one of the like original fantasy books i I think that's what the title that she name drops oh sweet but (laughs) (laughs) well like you see things like that or like Jack and the Beanstalk, which is a story that's been told a million times over in mm-hmm. every single medium. It's like one of the most classical OG stories. And that's really the moment where he pulls himself out of his his lowest in the dragon's belly and pulls himself all the way up to save his friends. So I think like they've been very smart in the stories they've chosen. Like mm-hmm. they've chosen things that they might identify as like great classics or what a story that everyone would know to be the biggest defining beats. It's kind of like they're leaving no one behind. Like they're choosing a story that literally everyone knows. Like I feel like everyone knows Jack and the Beanstalk. Like you you can't not know it. So by tying those into the biggest beats, like they're they're kind of grabbing every audience member. And it's like an entry point for readers where almost anyone can enjoy the book of Jack and the Beanstalk. And and it's not like uh, you. Okay. So you've read Moby Dick. Yeah. It's what's the age where you can start enjoying Mo- Moby Dick? Like 40. No, Moby Dick <laughs> is one of those books that like they he'll go on for like an 85 page chapter about how white the whale is. I'm not even joking, just literally how white it is. And it's one of those books that it's like a great work of art and it's like a it's like a beauty, but after the fact it's one of those things like a marathon that when you've gotten through it, you feel accomplished and amazed and you're so happy that you went through it. Yeah. But reading about the Pequod and like actually putting in the legwork for Moby Dick is something that I think like, it's a good thing to plant in this, in this story as like something to aspire to read, but it's the same thing to aspire to read like war and peace where Mm -hmm. no matter what, it's going to take you a long time. It's going to be a brick. Even people who say they love War and Peace have probably only read it once. It's it's like your veggies, where you got to get that nutrients, but it might not always be as good as, like, candy. Yeah, it's it's like Citizen Kane. It's like a great movie, but I think I've seen Citizen Kane maybe, maybe twice, maybe. So, you know, I feel like people love talking about it, and it gets harped on a lot. But as an actual story, 
it's pretty heavy handed. And there's like a huge chunk in it, which is about like how to how to hunt a whale and that like it's it, there's a huge chunk about the actual like craft of hunting whales and the industry right oh yeah multiple chapters <laughs> about just like whaling industry and which whales are the best to whale and why and i you you gleam a lot of information from it and i think it's a it's a great book to read actually scratch that i think it'd be a great book for everyone to listen to an audiobook yeah because the actual book is like i don't even know like 1600 pages or something so you think you think Richard was walking through, kind of flipped to that one chapter, read a little bit about Ahab, and then was like, I don't want to read about all the all the other 1,600 pages. I think so. Back. I because love that. a lot of the stories, like, same thing with Treasure Island, when he flips to the part and when we're there, we're there for a linear chunk of the story. Same with Moby Dick. God. That part of the story is a linear chunk, and then he leaves, and the story continues. Yeah. But we're not in Treasure Island and then flipping from like beginning, middle, end, this, that. That chunk of him getting, of the pirates getting to the island with the cabin boy and finding the one piece of gold is a part of the story. And it continues on after that, but not with us. That cabin boy part creeped me out so much. I was like, can you say that in a kid's movie? Can you say we'll make him our cabin boy and then move your eyebrows really suggestively? Yeah, pirates? I don't know. It's Long John Silver. Um, so he scares, kids movie, kids movie. he scares Long John Silver off uh, with a sword. And at this point, he kind of like loses his uh, his his like library card. And you think it's going to be a bigger moment. This is something that I kind of have like a problem with the movie is that every obstacle just goes away. I, Instead of them solving it, the obstacle just goes away. Where the library card goes missing, and then Adventure just steps on it and finds it. I disagree. I, it's, I'd say the largest obstacle in this story is him facing his fears, and we see that happen in an epic way. But At the end, a little bit. With him literally running away from safety to go back into like the heart of danger to save three friends. Mm -hmm. And that's huge. He doesn't have a relationship with anyone so far. Won't do like he won't do anything even to endanger himself. So going I, back to like endanger himself against other people. Yeah. And, and that's things, the best part of the movie. Exactly. But things like adventure finding the library card. I've been reading that as still like this is a young boy lost in the library for an afternoon. He probably lost his library card and had an hour of being scared that he wasn't actually going to be able to take these books out. And then he found it in one of the books he had, an adventure book that he just tucked it away in. So him finding it in the book is like, I'm okay with that. It, like, it, it makes sense to the way I'm reading the story. So, so then uh, they go on like a montage through all, the, all, the, all, all these different stories with the song uh, Whatever You Imagine by Wendy Moten in the pantheon of animated kids movies theme songs from the 90s okay you got uh you you got um tarzan with phil collins mm -hmm. who else you got uh what are some other good 90s animated music movies oh the lion king lion king you got some great theme songs where does this one rank for you it's kind of underwhelming in the theme songs. The theme songs uh, are like, they're always there supporting the imagery. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that I couldn't notice anything where like the animators took a chunk of music and said, we're going to animate to this sequence. They, I'd say they matched the other way around. Yeah, I felt like it just kind of like they needed it. Every movie back then had that. And so then they needed it. Yeah, it just kind of felt like, okay, we've gotten a movie, now we need a score, let's grab a guy who's like used to doing these scores, and they, they kind of run in the mill. Honestly, yeah. it didn't stand out to me too much. No. So they follow the yellow brick road, which leads to a high mountain with the exit sign at the top, but there's only one problem. The mountain is being pr protected by a dragon. So the, uh, the books create a distraction, they get on a magic carpet from uh, from fantasy and they fly to the top but uh before richard can exit he realizes that his friends are going to be eaten by the dragon and so he knows he has to go back and save them so he picks up a sword picks up a shield and goes and fights the dragon it and swallows him yeah that's my favorite part is he loses <laughs> it he, is it is great it is the, the best part is he faces his fear and he loses and 
I think we see a full hero's journey in him. This is him at his lowest moment, and then he has to overcome and change in the dragon's belly yeah. to come back up through like stronger. It is. It, it this is besides the Chris Christopher Lloyd monologue at the beginning, where he says, uh, "Consider the library card your passport to the unexpected and beautiful world of books." I think the scene with him and the dragon is the standout of the, of the entire movie. And I just would like to see more things like this in the, in the, in the second act. I actually really enjoyed the moment he has with the page master at the end when he goes back and he's all angry at the page master and the books are like treating him like, like a God or which is kind of funny. But uh, anyways, he's having that moment and the page master uh, has like his sage wisdom moment where he's like, I c couldn't have taken you here with a single turn of the page. I love it. And I think that's where you see the character like, again, in his hero's journey after overcoming all the change and the hardship he has. This is his moment of reflection to look yeah. back upon what he's done and how he's changed and realized it's for the better and really like instill that in himself. It had like, yeah, one, I, I one of my good. favorite quotes, which is, uh, yeah, he's, he's like, look, you you could come here, but you can't learn without challenges. Mm -hmm, exactly. And that's it's so much what we were talking about reading a book when you're a kid and you don't like both of us didn't want to read the book because a, you know, it was hard for us. But then also it's just a challenge. Like what, what we wanted was the immediate gratification of mm -hmm. the story. And I think this movie has a, like that's a really great message to put at the end. Yeah, and it's like if you put your work into reading the book, you can like get the I don't know the fruits of your imagination. Like it, like your imagination is going to be better than any movie or anything else. Like a book will will provide a richer story to an active reader than I'd say a movie would to an active watcher. Yeah, and it's all about process too. It's all about you know like when you finish a book. I, I always get a little sad w w whenever I finish a book because it's not about finishing it. It's about the process of, of reading it. And I think that's what that line really speaks to. Mm -hmm. I think it's also speaking to the feeling of accomplishment you get when you finish a book. Mm -hmm. With a movie, you don't really get a, you don't get a feeling of accomplishment when you finish watching a movie. But when you finish reading a book, as you said, it's kind of bittersweet. Like you've had that been with that story for so long and now you're putting it away. And it's sad that's over, but it's also like, it's nice. Yeah, but that's you, really true. Especially when you read something like Moby Dick, which is so long, by the end of it, you're like, I've read Moby Dick now. Great. <laughs> but then you realize you're like, is this book just a classic because so many people have to justify reading it? <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, so then the books uh, exit together with Richard out of the magic magical world. Richard wakes up to Christopher Lloyd in real life. Uh, not the actual Christopher Lloyd, but Miss, Miss, Mr. Dewey. That'd be awesome if he was like, I'm actor Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> You're in a Hollywood movie right now, kid. Also, and he wakes up. And he wakes up. Movie. I think we see the only, uh, oh, except in the books, but I was going to say the only like physical thing where it actually proves that he could have been in the world is that okay, his library yeah. card is really aged. And the books are around him. That I was like, maybe he picked those books up from the shelves, but that was, that's the other thing is the books like, one of them literally just says horror on it. <laughs> That's the title. <laughs> That's also one of the things I was like, what are these books? <laughs> just like brief, like brief genre books that kind of tell you a short synopsis of every other, other book. Well, the fantasy one, that makes sense. Cause a lot of those, like uh, again, the original Arabian nights are a collection of like children's books. And they're, like, yeah, maybe they're just books short stories, but I don't know. Maybe horror is the Grimm's fairy tales. That might be it. So then, so he's awoken back in real life. He rents the books uh, and he returns home with them. And this is, I want to get back to his parents. Okay. So yeah, his parents have been looking parents. for him all night first. So he rides home on his sweet new bike, not laden down with all that caution gear. Also he goes, goes over that far. awesome jump. Goes too far to take his helmet off as well. That's not cool. That, that was just funny. I was like, oh, that, that was just, just bit too much. Now you're being too much of a badass. <laughs> I wonder if they shot that and they're like, we've already taken three years. <laughs> we can't go back and race with that. He doesn't look the same at all. Are you kidding me? <laughs> He's or they like kept, six inches. <laughs> or they like kept the helmet on and they're like, nah, 
<laughs> only w- <laughs> only wimps wear helmets. <laughs> it was just like it, I only mention it because the briefest part of my my brain when he was riding up to that jump with a, had a helmet on pictured him just like miffing it horribly because he's never done anything like this before <laughs> and just cracking his head open and no one else is around. It's just like uh, you try to be badass too hard all at once. This movie does remind me of when you're a kid and all the other kids are doing awesome jumps on their bikes. And you try it and you hurt yourself so badly. <laughs> you've never done it before. <laughs> and it's like your 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 bravery is punished. <laughs> um, so his parents come back. They've been out looking for him. They come back and they find him asleep in the treehouse. Like asleep. He's fallen asleep. Read, 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 reading the books. And the mom's like, let's wake him up. And the dad's like, nah, let's let him sleep in the treehouse outdoors when a storm's going on on a hard wooden unfinished (laughs) structure. No roof to it. And then he grabs his jacket and puts it over top of him. But still, it's one jacket. No, I know. That's the thing. It's like, here's a jacket. Like, Like, okay. So do his parents actually, is Richard... Is it good that he's so cautious about the world because his parents aren't looking out for his well-being at all? I just think he his parents want him to be a man's man. <laughs> and his dad has the he's like his dad's like a real old school dad, is how I'm seeing it. He's a real Will Osland, where he just <laughs> doesn't want to get his hands dirty. I like the story is kind of it's it's not really a coming of age story, but it is it's kind of more of like a like you know like some kids are like quote late bloomers. Mm-hmm. I would see this kid being like one of those. Yeah. So it's sort of like a partial coming of age story for him. And like his dad just needs that validation that his son isn't just going to like be totally timid towards the world. Yeah. But again, if the story were to be made now, his father wouldn't like he might start the way the character is, but he wouldn't finish that way. His let's father let's just talk so about unyielding this. In what this, do you I think, think would be different if it was remade in 2020? it's interesting because this this story is one that i don't really feel like it needs an update now like maybe it could have an update in another like 20 years Mm -hmm. but i don't really think it needs one now if there were to be one now i think it would either be like really good or really bad i don't think there would really be an in-between to be honest like, I think it might just be more the same, like they just get like a kind of known powerhouse sort of cast for the main voice actors and sort of like a known kid and just sort of do the same story. But I don't think we really need to see that. I'd much prefer for them to like for the studios to wait for another 10 or 20 years and then redo the story with animation that is sort of beyond what we have now. Because mm-hmm. even if you like if you redo it, you could redo it with a whole bunch of different animation styles and, you know, make it completely different. But I don't really think we need that yet. The original one is still shot very well and still like holds up, I would say, much more than I was expecting it to. Mm-hmm. So I think if we were to see it done now, it would be too like it'd be too glossy. It would be too like you said that the movie struggled from having too many rewrites and too many people sort of working on it then. I think it would just be that, but more so. I think this movie could do with a remake. Yeah, it's I, one of the rare times I actually do, because I think, again, what I said earlier about most kids don't have any interest in reading books, I don't think anymore. It's definitely and, waning. And they'll get them from Amazon. If they do, they might get them from their school library. But have you been in a public li- library re- recently? Not when I wasn't filming. Dude, it is empty. I think I think one of the best things that this movie could do is be remade and spark spark like excitement for kids about reading and going to libraries again yeah i think if it were to be remade now we would see it be like we'd see a lot more stories crammed into it like we saw sort of a main of like three maybe four sort of stories in the page master with the fragments of quite Mm -hmm. a few others yeah but i think if it would be remade now it'd be a lot more of a mashup story kind of like wreck it ralph or ready player one where you exactly. see smaller elements of the stories more incorporated. Like if it would be done now, I think it would be like probably more rich in detail. But I just I'm scared that like it's this movie is good and it's like heartfelt at the end. And I'm just scared that it might lose that. 
I think part of it is like I love the movie, the original so much that I'm wary of a remake. I think I a remake think it, could be really good, but I don't think it's quite there yet. I think it would go the other way. So, um, the director of this also directed Jumanji, Joe Johnston. Now, Jumanji was was remade with Next Level. I think that was the the reboots uh, title, but. Uh, I think this movie could do that is where they're very similar, where if you reboot it now and you do kind of put it in like a larger world of, of making the library, like the world. And uh, I think now with Pixar and kids movies, they've kind of gotten the science down into making an emotional movie. Yeah. Where it's rare to see a Pixar movie where you don't want to cry now. <laughs> And I think they could do that. I think if they did it with this movie, they would really hit a deeper truth. I think you're saying that like broadening the story would be the key because keeping it locked in the confines of the library, I think would really kill the story now. And you're right. People consume a lot of their, I guess, books and written content from Amazon and from audiobooks now. Mm -hmm. And I think that you're right. I think they would have to, if they were to tell the story again, sort of like broaden the scope of it. Yeah. But yeah, the Jumanji one is a really good comparison because the remake was something I was expecting to be quite bad. And it was actually, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And it was very different from the first, but was still like st stuck true to the original story. Yeah, it was really updated. And I wonder if they would even set it in a library now, which is weird to say, but I think they would. I think they would. But I wonder if that is the best place to set it now for where books are in our culture. That's what I mean. I, I could also see them like honestly seeing it, like pulling a move and setting it like online or in like the digital mm -hmm. space. Like the library could be better. We're making set, books though. cool. We're putting it digital. <laughs> One thing though, if they were to remake it, I really would hope that they still stick to the classics for like the majority yeah. of the things. Like I would still hope that they pull from the public domain for almost everything that they riff on. I think they could because it's so much cheaper. No, that's the thing, right? <laughs> I, th I think I think they're actually encouraged to stick to those. <laughs> like there, there would obviously be some tie-ins and things like there was the shining in this one. But yeah, like but that's just in the background. And yeah, and I really did like how it was public domain because again, it's it's for everyone. Like it's the stories that everyone has read and it's mm -hmm. the stories that everyone know. And redoing, like retelling the same stories over and over again is, it's just part of it. It's kind of like uh, the Fenivore tapestry. That's like that whole series is just about like retelling the same stories that mankind has been telling over and over again. Yeah. Now, if we were to recast it, do you have any ideas for casting? I think Patrick Stewart still works. Right? Honestly, I could totally see him continuing on. I would hope that the kid would be a no name. I, I don't, I wouldn't want, yeah. like Macaulay Culkin is, He's great and whatnot, but I would want it to be someone who the the kids can't associate with anything else because that's a role that the kids really need to put themselves into, 100%. I think, because that's something that, like they want to be swept into the world and put themselves into that imagination land, especially when it switches to animation. It's so much easier to put yourself into that character. Yeah. So if it were to be cast, I would really hope that the main is a complete no name. Okay, so we're going no name kid and i was thinking octavia spencer for fantasy Ooh, i was thinking beyonce mm, that's good and then i was also thinking adam sandler for the horror book oh that's good too doing the ghoul that's good too i could see that he like because he could yeah no that could work and then if sir patrick stewart is like look i'm riding high off my logan money <laughs> and off my emoji movie money <laughs> where he played poo uh right yeah you know what i think we could get him but yeah. <laughs> but if they want a bigger name i think ryan reynolds would be good for ad adventure i was gonna go antonio banderas whoa i like that one too i think we should replace him with antonio banderas ryan reynolds just has such a like he's almost too suave yeah. he'd be like spy yes or like be mystery spy. or like sci-fi yeah, okay, I can see that. Or like, like noir, maybe. Yeah, he'd be the noir slash mystery cameo. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> um, it, would you do anything to, if you were to make this movie now, if you're in charge, do you think you'd do anything to, like, could you improve it in any, any er areas? The only thing that I would say that I would do differently is this movie really did, like, help open some... Uh, 
sort of creative doors for me and just realizing like seeing the blending of animation and classical storytelling like live action is something that is becoming more and more prevalent now but as a kid was pretty rare and if you were to do an update what i would like to see is to have more diversity in animation it'd be pretty cool if almost every story he went into had a different style of animation i kept thinking that because it was just it was great to like open up like oh and there's this whole other world of imagination but with now, like nowadays, you can show that in like sixteen or twenty, a hundred different styles of animation. You could even have like a live action stop motion animation for a while, and just I think this is sort of a a story where you're like showing kids what is possible, and I would just like them to dial that like to the max, like really push the envelope with what is possible. I think I think uh, Spider Verse really sh- could be a good reference point for the different types of and and animation mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah yeah um i also think yeah i think it's at 75 minutes i think you could add another 15 minutes into the s- second act and uh and just kind of give him another chunk of the adventure maybe like where they do have to go get the the li- library card back mm-hmm Maybe five more minutes on his parents, you know, a little more like uh, that. growth there. So apparently, more growth they, between his, you know, his parents accepting him. They cut a lot of those parent scenes, apparently. Oh, really? Then that um, was not fun, apparently. <laughs> ooh, I wonder what it was like originally. Yeah. Oh, I imagine they probably cut back to them searching for him. Yeah. Also, it's it's kind of funny. It's just like the storm just appears and then is gone. Yeah, the storm is horrible when he <laughs> like leaves the storm is like a hurricane when and then leaves, it goes away the ground is dry <laughs> <laughs> it's just like little things like that where i'm like the story's great but there's like the few details where it's like come on guys <laughs> maybe the story just takes place in like you know they never show the outside world but it takes place in like some country where there where monsoons are really pre- prevalent and so it's just like a snap storm like can you imagine if like, I also think I would like to have seen is when he's riding back and he takes that jump. Imagine if it was like really rainy and it's a lot more epic because it's wet mm-hmm. and all the other kids who are originally out there are hiding under like a deck yeah. or, a roof or something. And they're like hiding from the rain and then they see him just like without all of his stupid high vis stuff and taking the jump because he never got that validation from then. No, them and either. then he eats it. Exactly. <laughs> into, it open. into the side of a car. <laughs> like, this whole story is about this kid like gaining like confidence in himself and like independent validation, but he doesn't get it from anyone else. Mm -hmm. It's all internal. Which I think is good. Like, I think kind of the story, I think what he's missing in the beginning is reliance on himself because he's scared of everything. Totally. It's just, it's one of those things where given an update, it might be good just to show that a little more. Like he, he does like he, he gets, he changes in the eyes of his parents or of his peers. That is true. Because, you know, we get the moment of him getting chirped at by all his friends, or by all his friends. They're not his friends. Not his friends at all. And then we don't ever get any conclusion to that. This movie does have the same thing in common with Jumanji, which is just mean kids on bikes. Yeah. A lot of 70s movies did that too, though. 90s movies. Yeah. For some reason, this movie just feels like a 70s movie to me. (laughs) It does. Um, So, okay, by the rule of... The movie, when you flip to a page in a book, whatever is in that story, whatever is on that page in, in, in the story will come to life. What's the worst page to flip to in the best book? <laughs> the worst page to flip to in the best book. Hmm. I'd say in Bran Stoker's Dracula the worst page to flip to is uh, the end of chapter one when it's you the whole time you've been getting introduced to Dracula and like the sort of his elements of darkness and you haven't really seen him yet and then it ends with uh, a normal mortal going into Dracula's house and seeing him and meeting him for the first time and they just show how cavalier he is but then also how much of like a wolf he is. Because it paints this setting of like, it's so beautiful and so intriguing, but that character has no way out. So Dracula comes to life and you're the mortal. 
Yeah, it's like you, you're the mortal and you're stepping into his, his like den and then him just like very casually, like very calmly talking and then you realizing that you, there's no way in hell you're getting out of here alive. <laughs> so my choice would be Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Okay. And you flip to the last page or one, like the, the second half when Voldemort comes back from the dead. And so as soon you you flip to the page and there's a cauldron and he raises from the cauldron. Ooh, that's a pretty good one. The moment of like where the whole world is basically going to descend into darkness from this stroke. It's a good moment. And he's at his most powerful too. Yeah. And pissed. (laughs) 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 Uh, Okay, so... Do you think this all happened in his 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 head? Yeah, this it is did. a kid. This is a kid with a like hyperactive imagination. Yeah, who is finding a way to focus and fuel it? Before it just happens to be arbitrarily focused on safety and death, mm-hmm. and he's finding something to like lock onto with his crazily crazy active imagination yeah i guess he's just so afraid of the world because his imagination is so active that he can imagine the worst thing hap- happening yeah i see this kid as like a low-level genius mm-hmm. like he's only like 10 and you see some of the quotes his father is saying that he's been doing like he knows about blood clots from shin splints and stuff like I was that trying to figure like, out, is he like a like like a rain man almost I, I could see him being like a genius and like Maybe on the spectrum a bit, maybe, but I think it's more of just a story of like someone who's again a light bloomer, someone who just yeah. sort of has to come to terms with the world. The world is a big scary place, and he's realizing that all at once. And I think he just needs like a place to focus that imagination on. I think. Yeah, I think Richard Tyler comes into his comes into his own in college. <laughs> I think he graduates, he kind of grows his hair out, starts playing hacky sack, and starts having friends who appreciate him for for him. For Richard Tyler. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I have a theory, which is in the library, all the background f- figures, let's say this, all this really did happen. All the background figures in, in the stories, let's say like the pirates on Long John Silver's book, mm-hmm. they're all kids who never made it to the exit. Oh, that's really dark. They're just stuck in the book prison as well. You're in the stuck stories. in there, dude. You never got out. Oh, man, that's a really dark way of looking at it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, I like it. Don't get me wrong. But like, damn. That raises right. the stakes a lot. So, okay, again, believing that all this really did happen. Mm-hmm. Richard rents those books, convinces the librarian to let him take out three instead of the normal two. The librarian lets him because he knows he has good faith in him. Mm-hmm. He knows what people need. Richard has those books. All they want to do is get out of, out of, of the library. Does he return them? Or yes. does he never return to the library because he doesn't want to have to deal with it? No, he returns them. He reads them and gets great enjoyment out of them. That's what they're there to be. But once he's read them, he's kind of, they've kind of like almost filled their purpose with him. Mm-hmm. He needs to go back and return them for the next kid. Mm. But do you think they willingly want to be returned? I think so at that point, because after they've sort of like, after he's read through all of them and they've, he's gleaned all that knowledge from them, they're, they're ready for their next, their next kid. And they know that there's other books in the library that need to be taken out. He doesn't own them. They're all library books. Almost like Toy Story. Yeah. But, you know, the only thing that I would argue about this is they don't say we want to be read. They just say we want to leave this prison. <laughs> so I, I think I think he does return them. But I think they don't want to be returned. <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay. I think I think they're more harping on that because, like, if there were people there checking them out, them out constantly, it wouldn't be a prison. But no one's there. Mm, so yeah. Because no one is going there and no one's checking out books, it's become one. That's what I mean, I think this I think this movie sh- should be remade. Like it's such a true thing for for now. I think we they should just continue airing the one that's already out. It's good. Pair it with Canasta Book Fairs, stream it to your <laughs> second graders, 
Show it uh, to your little cousins. It's a great movie. Okay, so what uh, would you recommend? It sounds like you would, that you would recommend rewatching this movie now. Yes. This this movie, honestly, I was expecting to rewatch it and to enjoy a lot less than my memories. I thought my nostalgia goggles would really cheapen this movie. Like That happened to me with Space Jam and a few other movies, movies that I just adored as a kid. And then you go back to and you, you see them for what they really are. This mm-hmm. movie is a genuinely heartfelt movie that has a good message one that i can like really get behind and i would say resonated with me i did want to read more and as a kid who is dyslexic and really didn't like reading or saw it as a chore for many many years Mm -hmm. this helped open the world as it to be something to be enjoyed and like to show that reading can be something that can like not propel you further but like you can you can get such a depth out of reading you can get more than the pain it takes to do it mm-hmm, exactly like it, it does give you rather than just take and once you see that reading isn't like a chore which i think most kids see it as mm-hmm. and a lot of adults see that but once you see reading isn't a chore you can just like you're open to like all the best stories told by mankind they're this all a, they're all books <laughs> this is a book friendly podcast on a book friendly pod uh net net network kyle loves reading i've I, I like reading. You like reading. It's, right, everyone, uh, get reading in your life. If you can't read, then get podcasting in your life. It will totally <laughs> yeah. change your travel time in your car. Okay, get so some stories in there. Do you think a kid in 2020 would actually enjoy this movie? Yes. Without it, nostalgia? Yes. It still works because the classics have never changed and will never mm-hmm. change. And those are stories that even if a kid has never seen or read or heard of any of those classics before, I basically guarantee you they will. So this story will only get better upon remembering it. But most kids will have seen or heard of some of those stories. So it's still a very relevant movie. And yeah. it's, it's, it's done in a way that it's quite ageless. Like even the live action parts, you just see sort of like classic library, classic little roads. You don't see anything that really dates it in, in time. Yeah. Like you don't see like a, those huge brick cell phones or stuff like that. Yeah. So or I like- think it, it ages well. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think a kid could watch it now. I think they might be a little bored with the animation style. I think kids right now are so into 3D and and animation, but there's nothing wrong with 2D. I love 2D. I don't know. I would actually argue against that because like using like The Lion King as an example, I've heard a lot of people say that there's a lot more of like an emotional resonance with the original like the original scenes of the, yeah. the original animation one compared to the remastered ones that make them look like actual animals. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You mean the, the remake? Yeah, it's the remake yeah. where it's they just look like you can't get that. that can, you can't convey as much emotions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're anatomically correct animals. <laughs> and the classic animations, like they just go for the pure emotion. So mm-hmm. I think it would hold up just like a movie like the Aristocats would still hold up. There's some moments in that movie, which you know probably shouldn't, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie that was made. I don't even know how many years ago, and you can see that it's still classically drawn, but it's done in a way that's so beautiful that it ages, it ages gracefully. Yeah. Now you can find this movie. Uh, if you do want to watch it, you can find it on iTunes and Amazon to rent. I think it's usually about a dollar, uh, $4. It's not on Amazon anymore. Oh, Damn it. Sorry. Never mind. Where where did you watch it? I watched it. Let's oh, okay. Say legally. Um, okay. <laughs> I watch it on iTunes. It yeah, I have it for another 48 hours. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so recently what's one movie that you've seen that would have been your favorite movie as a kid? Uh Top of my head in movies I've seen recently. The Incredibles 2. Mm. It's another story that has like, it's a very sort of classic story, but kind of flipped on its head a little bit. Yeah. But it's still like falls just off the Incredibles 1. It's sticking true to its original source material. And it's, it's a pretty amazing movie where like it just, the whole theme is putting family first and how that can be like a, a positive for for the story most most of these superhero movies are the movies like this are like one character moving off by themselves and striking mm-hmm. on their own and it's really nice to see a movie that shows that like the stronger you are as a family like the, the better you can be as a hero and i like that uh <clears throat> it's very similar to the first one 
but it kind of flips the roles where first one's the dad's movie. This one's the mom's movie mm-hmm. and they still, you know, it still follows the things that you love from the first one, but it still creates new ideas. Yes, absolutely. And the kids have like an organic development going through it. No, that, that movie's incredible. <laughs> now, uh, you're not on Twitter or inst- inst- Instagram, correct? No, that's correct. Currently, I am on like no platforms. Well, you can find me at, uh, at Willem Osland on Instagram. Fraser, thank you for coming on. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute treat being here. That was Pagemaster1994. Uh, join us next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Uh, Just a little note after. I don't consider myself a political person, but in regards to the Black Lives Matter protests that are happening, uh, they're really important, and any support you can offer helps. Most likely, there's a protest or an organization in your city. If you don't feel comfortable going out, you can donate. Um, I chose to donate to the National Bail Fund Network, But uh, just, they need your support. It's an important cause. Stay safe, educate yourself, and keep fighting. Thank you. Uh